0: To convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive.
2: Space. The painful frontier. Welcome back. (laughs) Triple Threat Theater, episode 58. I'm Joe Daxberger.
1: I'm Ryan Miller. And why wasn't that the title of the episode? (laughs) We just didn't know beforehand, right? (laughs) Yeah, I guess. I mean, I had seen two of the three of these movies before, and I, I could have told you that this would be relatively painful.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The movies we're talking about this episode are all... So the, the actual title of the episode is 2000, A Space Odyssey. And the reason behind that is because these are all outer space themed movies that came out in the year 2000. And I feel like just science fiction movie from the year 2000... Uh, do, for you, does that kind of spell questionable or trouble the way that it does for me? Yes. Yeah. Oh, of course. that combination of genre and time period.
2: Yeah, because in it, for me, it boils down to just some bad CG decisions.
1: Yeah, I think that's kind of what it is. Is that was the the growing pains of CG, mm-hmm. and the more sci-fi outer space you get, then the more CG there's bound to be. Yes. I mean, like in the past, we watched Jason X. That came out around this time, right? Yep, that would fit right
2: in uh, aesthetically with uh, these movies, more or less, too.
1: Yeah. but uh, So the three movies we're talking about are Supernova from January 2000, Pitch Black from February 2000, and Red Planet from November 2000. Mm -hmm. And the other one that immediately comes to mind for me that could have been In this uh, lineup is Mission to Mars, which was also the year 2000. Yes. Oh, was it? Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Even when we talked after this episode was picked, last episode, Mm -hmm. and I think we talked then, I was like, I couldn't remember which was which, Red Planet or Mission to Mars, and if I'd seen one or the other. Yeah. So going into watching these movies for tonight's episode, I still said to myself, all right, which one am I watching? And have I seen it? So no, I had not seen Red Planet. I have seen Mission to Mars. As have I. Never even heard of Supernova. (laughs) Didn't see that. And saw Pitch Black back in the day in the theater. A couple times since.
1: Yeah. I saw Pitch Black in the theater with my grandmother. Of course. (laughs) And I saw Supernova in the theater as well. I'm one of the 12 people who saw that. Uh uh I... I, I must have seen it with my dad. Like, I don't think at, at that point, would I have seen that alone? I guess it's possible I saw it alone in the theater. But um, yeah, I remember seeing Supernova and then it like drops off the face of the earth and it's like everybody forgot it existed. And then sometime in the past decade, I learned of the, like, <laughs> the tragic path from script to screen that that movie had. Okay, okay. Uh, which I will detail in full when we actually do the review of that one. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> and then uh, Red, I, I had seen Mission to Mars. I remember liking Mission to Mars. Uh, it's a Brian De Palma movie. Of course, I wouldn't have had any idea who he was back when mm, I first saw it. Same. And then it feels like Red Planet and Mission to Mars, because they're both about the planet Mars, those are, it's, it's one of those weird things like when, was it like uh, Deep Impact and Armageddon came mm-hmm. out in the same year, Yep. or like Ants and a Bug's Life, that kind of thing. Like those oh, yeah. two movies came out like at the same time or the same year, and like those two have always been like, you know, dueling Mars movies in my mind. And I, uh, I knew that Red Planet was about like a killer robot, or at least partially um, but that, that's really all I knew about it beforehand.
2: I had nothing going in again. When as soon as I fired it up, I was like, okay, this is the one with Val Kilmer, mm-hmm. no clue what happens in it. Was surprised about the rest of the cast, yeah. same. and was like, okay, Tim Robbins isn't in this one, so this isn't the one I've <laughs> seen because he gets uh takes his helmet off in the middle of space or whatever.
1: Yeah, the outstanding things I remember about Mission to Mars is that uh, there's that long sequence where Tim Robbins is, like, floating away from the ship, and I think it's Gary Sinise is trying to rescue him, but then, like, his tether is too short and he mm-hmm. can't reach him. I remember that being, like, a, a harrowing and impressive sequence yeah. back when I first saw it.
2: And he snuffs himself when he turns to ice or whatever.
1: See, that part I had forgotten about, and you, you mentioned it to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we were talking before, and I had completely forgotten that. I kind of want to rewatch that movie now because it's been a long time.
2: Yeah, it's got. Mar- it ends up with Martians in the end, if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah, Gary Sinise like ends up on Mars and he finds this uh like ruin there. And when he goes inside, is essential- if I remember correctly, the concept is basically Martians left that like these ruins on Mars so that when man was technologically advanced enough to reach it, then they would come and get us and be like, now you're you know, smart enough to know that we exist and come experience our culture or whatever, mm-hmm. I think is kind of what that movie was. Right. But we're not talking about that one this episode. Sure not. <laughs> so yeah, this, it, this trio was my idea. Uh, God knows how I came to the idea of putting these three together, but I think I chose Red Planet over Mission to Mars specifically because I... Hadn't seen it. Mm-hmm. That that must be the reason. Well, good call. So you had seen Pitch Black. Pitch before. Black.
2: That's it. I was aware of another one. Completely unaware of the other. <laughs>
1: Generally, a fan of Pitch Black leading yeah. up to this. Or? Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. We'll get into it. I mean, I have thoughts that I'm sure have changed <laughs> over the years, but fair enough. This was like, uh, you know, so early for like Vin Diesel and that whole thing too. I can remember like really being into it at the time. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have thoughts as
1: well that I guess I'll save until we mm. talk about that one. Um,
2: let's tear right into that uh,
1: supernova. Yeah, let's let's dive into supernova very from ready. January 14th, the year 2000. You know how much the government
2: will pay to get their hands on something like this? Who knows what kind of new technologies it could lead to. And we'll all be in on it. If you guys help me out here, I'll cut you in for 5%. Each. Well, 5% each, huh? How about we give you 5%? I'm the last one who found it.
0: Am I missing something here? We don't even know what it is.
2: Well, it's either human-made or it's not. It's not man-made. It was buried in the middle of an ice moon. Look, there's no question. This is it. Primary contact. People have been dreaming about this for thousands of years. Exactly.
1: I'm not convinced we shouldn't blow it out the closest airlock.
2: You can't be serious.
1: You have any idea what you're saying? I'm saying I don't know what the hell it is, and nothing you've showed me or told me indicates that you do either. Maybe it is an alien artifact. Maybe it's a magic trick. Maybe it's a distillation
2: of knowledge of an advanced civilization. Maybe it's just a toy, an alien child's toy,
0: Or an alien sex object.
2: It looks like a... Or maybe something so dangerous that the only way somebody could find to get rid of it was by burying it. Maybe. It is no business being on
0: this ship. It's harmless. You had contact with it. And you have a form of bone growth I've
2: never seen before.
0: I've had that my whole life. We don't have a blink. We can't confirm it. Scan it, log it on record. When we get to clear space, we tag it and float it. I think you're making a big mistake, Captain. Oh, yeah? You want to clarify that?
2: I'm offering you the opportunity of a lifetime, and you're passing it up. For all of us.
1: For all of us? Your opportunity of a lifetime has cost us the life of our captain. It's endangered the lives of this crew and is wasting our critical time. All this for some half-baked delusional belief that you'll make yourself rich. There's no opportunity here. And there is no us. So let's just talk generally about the movie first, and then I'll regale you with Mm. the tales of (laughs) of this poor movie and what happened to it in production. Okay. So, yeah, I had seen it before. Uh, It had been a very long time. I mean, I hadn't seen it since the theater, as far as I know, so 21 years ago. And all I really remembered about it was the thing that never left my mind about this movie, like the entire plot and the premise, all that was lost to me. But I remembered that at the end of the movie, uh, almost in a Brundlefly type of situation, (laughs) two people (laughs) share the same, like... Pod. cryopod or whatever yeah. during like a light speed jump and this movie's logic dictates that their genetics like melded together and I couldn't remember if like two people went in and they came out as one person I remembered the the two different colored eyes thing mm-hmm. that's all I remembered about this movie Oof. I mean I don't remember liking it I don't remember hating it I have feelings this time around but as a first time viewer what did you think? Millsy how are they going to do Robert Forrester like that? <laughs> I know. I was excited when I saw his name in the opening credits. Same. Uh, and then he's out of there in like 10 minutes.
2: Uh, totally. I was like, I don't think I even might have missed his name, but when he sh- first shows up and he's watching like Tom and Jerry or whatever, I was like, I was like, okay. I was like, how has this movie gone completely over my head with this cast? Because it's all notable for the most part. People like James Spader, Angela Bassett. You know Robert Forrester. Although back <laughs> Five then, minutes
1: of Robert Forrester. Yeah, I mean,
2: even like freaking
1: Peter Fascinelli or whatever. I knew him. See, I didn't know him. Like I'm watching the movie. I'm watching the movie, and uh, I'm I'm like seeing Peter Fascinelli on screen. I'm like, I, he's not ringing any bells to me. But mm. like, is this like a name guy, or is this like the only movie he's well, ever been in? I had to look him up to see. I know him so well because, like, for. How you are with? I know you're going with
2: this. American Pie is me with can't hardly wait, and he's in that. So like mm-hmm. I know him very well from that.
1: Yeah, and then it seems like the latter part of his career, he's he's in all the Twilight movies, which was his oh, bread and butter. Okay. Yes, yeah, and I with really a know. face and a physique like that, I cannot kind of understand how he fits <laughs> into those. Right. I mean, he's shirtless ninety percent of his screen time in this movie. Well.
2: Not just him. That's...
1: I mean, a lot of people are naked a lot in this. This movie is so horny. <laughs> like, it's it's all over the place. It's
2: oozing. Like Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of shirtless people all over this. A lot of skin in this one. I was surprised.
1: Yeah, even just the fact that in order to go into... So basically, in, the, in this movie, they can do, like, light speed travel.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, like a lot of different movies, like Star Trek, like Star Wars. But in this, it's like... In order to survive it, you have to get into this special pod and you have to be naked. (laughs) Right. So like right up front, everybody is like stripping down before they take uh, this light speed trip to answer like a distress call.
2: Mm -hmm. And they're kind of like space paramedics, I guess.
1: Yeah, I was about to say it's almost like a like a. Like how you, you know, you got like the library is like a building, but then there's the bookmobile, which drives the books around <laughs> to people. This is like the bookmobile version of like a hospital in space, I guess. Like they just tool around until they get a message, almost like an outer space ambulance.
2: That's the best way to put it. It's yeah. like a floating ambulance that's just waiting for
1: a call. But the weird thing is like, okay, so the crew is captain and co pilot. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Uh, and then you have, they they refer to her as the Doctor, uh, Angela Bassett's character. Like, you're telling me there's this entire spaceship and there's only one Doctor? Right. Like, what do Robin Tunney and... Um, Lou Diamond Phillips. Lou Diamond Phillips even do on the ship? They have titles,
2: because I feel like Lou Diamond Phillips says it at some point. I don't even remember, but I'm we're well, going to say they're paramedics.
1: Okay. And then there's a legit Doctor. And then uh, that other dude... Who talks to the computer is like the tech guy, I guess. Right, but I don't know the like, the way that those two characters of Robin Tunney and Lou Diamond Phillips act. Mm-hmm. They don't feel like they belong in a medical scenario of any kind. Like, in, I I could buy her as like a medical student, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, it's all just, they do is fuck. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah. There's just so much of that going on. It's just
2: like I said, this movie's horny. Yeah, there's no two ways about it.
1: But essentially, they're just like floating through space. They get a distress call, as is the case with like half of these sci-fi movies that take place in space. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. They go to this far off place several light years away via this jump. As soon as they get there, their ship gets damaged by... Essentially, they pull up unknowingly like on the edge of a black hole or something.
2: Yeah, and, it's like a supernova.
1: Yeah, like a collapsing star or something. Not quite the black hole just before, I guess. Yeah, And so they lose a bunch of their fuel, and so they have to, like, ration how much they use, but they have to, like, they have just enough fuel to keep themselves from getting sucked into the supernova for 17 hours and, like, 11 minutes or or something. Yep. And it's going to take their... Um, like engine that allows them to do light speed travel to get away. It's going to take that like 17 hours and one minute to recharge. Of course. So, of course So it they does. <laughs> Very convenient. So they get there and then like, they basically just have to chill out for 17 hours. And then the person who placed the distress call is Peter Fascinelli, uh who conveniently in all of outer space, it happens to be um, what, they tell us is the son of a former lover of Angela Bassett. Mm -hmm. And he like flies up, comes on board and is like, uh, I, I'm the one that you were here to rescue. They discover that he has this glowing purple
2: thing. Mm -hmm. The thing that they, they probably just told all the actors, we'll figure this out later. Just look at this tennis ball.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And then, long story short, it's this object that. Oh, good luck! It reminded me of um, Star Trek Three. I think Genesis is what they called this thing, where like you could put it and like detonate it on a planet, and it would like repopulate the planet with like plant life or something. It would like bring a planet back to life. It's almost like that, but
2: like a god bomb.
1: Yeah. Uh, so the idea is kind of similar to what I was saying about Mission to Mars. Like these, this. Far more advanced species has created this thing that when another species or people from another planet are advanced enough that they can go out into space and find it, they'll take it back to their homeworld, not knowing what it is. And it's basically a bomb that will destroy their society and at the same time, like, create new life. Mm -hmm.
2: But kills everything else.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't fully understand the concept. They do the a concept. horrible job of explaining it in the
2: movie. Yeah. So that's probably as good as it's going to get.
1: Like, is it just some vindictive asshole species who is like, we're the smartest. As soon as somebody else is getting even close to being as smart as us, we wipe them out. Right. But it's like, you know, you chop down a tree, you plant a new one. <laughs> we Facebook. destroy this entire yeah. civilization, and then we, like, right. create new life.
2: Like, you're good enough to find our god bomb, but you're too good to stick around any longer so bring it back home with you and it'll
1: blow up and start over okay yeah
2: for some reason peter fascinelli wants that to happen
1: well i think he's he's like come into contact with it and i guess since it like creates life or whatever even before it detonates like if you spend too much time fucking around with it or like uh, lou diamond phillips becomes obsessed with it and he's like Got his hands all over it and he's like sleeping on top of it. Of course he sticks his he sticks his hand in it, which is yeah. always
2: a smart, smart
1: play. And then it starts to make you like younger and uh stronger and makes your bones better or something like that. Makes them grow, so, maybe. I'm guessing Peter Fascinelli's character just you know it's like affecting his mind and he's obsessed with it now or something. Mm. I, I don't really know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's not the strongest premise i mean it it, no. it will suffice <laughs> it's it's just messy all around
2: i think uh i th- uh, i'll just come out and say it, this movie's terrible <laughs> i th- i don't think there's any redeeming quality or factor to this movie at all mm-hmm. peter fascinelli just like creepily like grins his way through every second that he's on screen he's super creepy <laughs> super creepy just like All he can do is just, like, have, like, some douche grin seducing people on the ship. I mean, James Spader is, like, nothing in the movie. Of course, there's always, like, there's always a pilot character who is on probation but is also ex-military,
1: of course, so that's him. And, like, ex-drug addict and, like, recovering and
2: Uh And just... You know, the spaceship looks like shit inside and out. And
1: I mean, that, it it very visually reminds me of that horrible spaceship design from Jason X when we watched yeah, that. Yeah, totally. Everything is just like kind of stainless steel silver with like a lot of weird curves and mm-hmm. shapes. Everything almost looks like ovular. And then there's just like a lot of purple and blue lights reflecting off of things.
2: Yeah, it's just like dime store spaceship. Low-rent design.
1: Ah, uh, Milsey, That fucking robot. <laughs> you mean that, the uh, the department store mannequin? When that
2: thing fucking shuffles over wearing, like, what do they say? A World War II outfit because the, yeah. the captain likes that. I just said, this fucking movie. I was like, I'm in for it. I think that was, when that shows up at, like, you know, eight minutes in, I was like, oh, boy. Yeah. Now I know why I've never heard or seen this movie before.
1: Yeah, I gotta say, I had, like, I had the knowledge of this movie existing and being, like, reviled and having been a complete flop. And so I went in with these expectations of, like, this is one of the worst movies that ever managed to crawl its way to the screen. And because of that, I was surprised it wasn't as bad as I was expecting it to be. It's really bad. (laughs) I mean, this... This is Noah Braxis, but this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> that's the kind, that's the thing. I was kind of expecting like a Plan Nine from Outer Space, but in the year two thousand level, like Man, piece of shit. I mean, it's just like it's not even fun. Bad. Yeah, it's, it's just <sighs> bad. It's just like it's just a, a slog to get. Yeah, through. and it just. Nothing really happens for a long time. Yeah. Uh, even when the killing begins, when Peter Fascinelli starts murdering people, I was mm. disappointed that like the first two people he kills, he just launches them yeah. both out of the ship. <laughs> out of two separate airlocks. There's plenty of airlocks all over the place. Yeah, I was thinking like, man, it is dangerous to have this many exits on this ship because yeah. people could just go missing out of those fucking portholes yeah. constantly and you wouldn't even know it.
2: Yeah. And he's just like hornballing his way around the ship. That all the while, at one point, it looks like his bones and his fist are getting bigger. Yeah. At one point, his muscles start growing. He starts getting a little like, you know, that kind of look they give to uh, random movies will give to vampires where like their brows will get bigger.
1: Yeah. Weird, like, s- like strong cheekbones.
0: Yeah.
2: I mean, I know I did read just one little bit that because I thought it was weird. Well, I'll say I got to the end. And then I saw... Patrick Totopoulos' name in the credits.
0: Mm-hmm. It
2: was like a pretty famous like uh, production designer and creature designer. Well, I've like known from way back plus this episode is like he designed the creatures in pitch black.
0: Mm.
2: But then I like and he had a lot to do with I think the at least the werewolves, maybe everything in Underworld. Another cringe movie thing that I love. <laughs> but then Mostly because I watched I don't know how many seasons of Face Off on Sci-Fi like the <laughs> uh-huh. which I love it's like one of my best favorite you know uh, competition reality shows ever and he was one of the judges on it so I was like very aware of him as a person so when I saw his name I was like I was like oh what is like he doing in this movie and then I did see that there was like a they cut out like the major kind of like creature or face effect that he did for. Peter Fastinelli that they just cut, took out of the movie, I think, because I think the executives didn't like it or something.
1: Well, allow me to go ahead and unveil to you <laughs> what happened to this movie.
2: All I know. So like I said, I knew that just because I checked on um, Totopolis in particular, I saw that. And then searching, I did see, I didn't look into it any further, but I saw this movie like, and a couple different instances, and it was like related to or something about uh, Alan Smithy's situation.
1: Similar, but. Similar, but different, right? No, there is no Alan Smithy. The director is uh, Thomas Lee. Okay. But there is no Thomas Lee. Ah. Oh. So it is an Alan Smithy situation. Okay. So the movie was originally pitched all the way back in 1990 as Dead Star by, uh, I didn't think to write his name down, but I actually heard a podcast interview uh is it William Malone maybe sounds good, sure. I heard a podcast interview with him on that uh that show Best movies never made mm-hmm. that uh, you and I are both a fan of. oh yeah, and so he talked about he had this idea for a movie where it was gonna be like some astronauts find like some ancient alien artifacts and you know accidentally bring something dangerous to earth, and he planned it as like a cheap kind of five to six million dollar movie. And even got some concept designs by H.R. Giger to go along with, like, the pitch Uh packet for it. Uh, So it kind of, I think it got optioned by somebody and sat on a shelf forever. Eventually, Jeffrey Wright, the director of Romper, Stomper, and Cherry Falls, comes on uh, attached to direct. And Vincent D'Onofrio was one of the people who was cast. He was going to play the computer technician role who, like, talks to the computer constantly in the movie. Uh Mm-hmm. Uh so they were getting the movie ready to go was going to be filmed in like the year 1998 or something like that. 2 months before filming begins, uh he leaves the movie over creative differences and Vincent D'Onofrio goes with him. So then they quickly the studio quickly tries to find another director and they end up with, with Jack Shoulder. This is the guy who gave us A Nightmare on Elm Street 2 Freddy's Dead. Uh, The weird one where Freddy comes like out of the kids dreams into the real real world and it has all the like weird homosexual stuff in the movie. So he's brought on board, but immediately the head of MGM isn't a fan of him and decides not to use him. So James Spader, who is attached to the movie to star at this point, lobbies for Walter Hill. Walter Hill being the man who directed the warriors and he's one of the producers on all of the alien films. And so he takes over to rewrite and direct the film. And he wants more time to rework the script because he doesn't like it. But the studio had gotten word that the screen actors guild might be striking that summer. So they insisted on going ahead with like no extra time for the rewrite to happen. So they start filming the movie with an unfinished script. Oh, boy. Which is never a good thing. Never. And then, according to Walter Hill, during the actual filming of the movie, the uh, studio cut the budget in half. Like, how does
2: that happen? Like, how I, I like, do how, not know. How does that not break, like, everyone's contract or something? If you're suddenly, like, like when does that ever work out well? When you're doing anything <laughs> where it's like you're halfway through and it's suddenly like, oh, you're, we can't give you all that money. No idea. It's
1: unreal. So then the next hiccup comes because there is a a special effects studio called Digital Domain. And they had been in talks with MGM for like a long time about uh, doing like a partnership where they would work exclusively for MGM. And they would be part of like uh, they would get kind of back end pay on the success of movies. So they would provide their special effects work cheaper than normal. Because they would then be expecting that if we do a good job, we'll end up getting more money on the back end. And because of that, they were expecting if this deal to go through and then the special effects to cost significantly less for this movie. Of course, that deal didn't end up happening. And so Walter Hill essentially said that the production had to, quote unquote, pay for the full spa treatment, meaning that a lot of effects had to be scrapped because now they just did not have the money to do them. Mm. So among the things that got changed or lost entirely, uh, there was supposed to be a scene where James Spader would rescue someone from a bubble of zero gravity water. I don't know when that would happen in the movie, but completely scrapped. Sounds unnecessary, but yeah, <laughs> the zero gravity sex scene. Mm. I don't know if it looked weird to you, but it looked weird to of me. Of course, It looks terrible. And that's because uh, they did not have the effects budget to do whatever they were going to do to try and make it look realistic. So they essentially just had the two naked characters sitting on a chair that swiveled on the end of a pole and then digitally removed the chair. So it does not look like they're actually floating at all. No. And the other thing that I saw mentioned is that there was supposed to be a CG cutting edge medical robot. That was replaced with an actor in a robot costume. Ugh. And that's where you get that shitty robot. I mean,
2: it's, I would say replaced on the day of filming
1: with how <laughs> bad that so bad. thing looks. Looks so bad.
2: Looks so bad. Whatever the guy inside of it is doing it was like, whoever was directing him that day was just like, oh, act like a, a robot would in 1947. <laughs>
1: Just act like your shoes are stuck to the floor and waddle.
2: Terrible. <laughs> waddling, kind of like gyrating. It looks like a friggin' Lost in Space robot look, moved better than that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's embarrassing, honestly. It's bad, just bad. But that is not the end oh. of this movie's troubles. Uh, after principal photography, Walter, Walter Hill spent 24 weeks editing the director's cut, which was not complete when the studio insisted on doing a test screening. He knew that the movie would perform catastrophically if they tested it without all the special effects because there would be so many special effects in the movie. But he couldn't stop the studio from doing it, and they showed it, it tested terribly, and then there was like a huge argument between him and the studio, and he left the project. Hmm. So then the studio was desperate, and they brought Jack Shoulder in again, who they fired after hiring like (laughs) for a week before production actually started. Uh, He shot new scenes, drastically re-edited the movie, uh, changed the voice of the computer, uh, completely changed the score. And then new executives took over MGM who didn't like his cut, so they asked Walter Hill to come back. Oh, boy. He requested more time and $5 million to do reshoots. They refused, and he said, fuck you, I quit. And that was the end of him on the movie. Lord. Uh, so then they shelved the film for like a year And then uh, eventually Francis Ford Coppola was a board member at MGM And they asked him to supervise a new edit Francis Ford fucking Coppola what? The Godfather Came on to re-edit Supernova Oh, So he came in and his big thing was he wanted to get the film down to a PG-13 rating
2: terrible idea
1: (laughs) i don't know why uh the film never got that rating but changes that coppola made to the movie largely involved uh peter fascinelli was towards the end of the movie supposed to turn into a monster they took all that out all the creature effects all the gore uh they softened a lot of the death scenes um so you didn't see any of the actual kill shots and stuff Well, here's one of the most egregious things, I think. One of the things he wanted to do was strengthen the relationship between Angela Bassett and uh, James Spader. So do you remember early in the movie when the two of them have like a zero gravity sex scene? Yes. That was not actually Angela Bassett and uh, James Spader. He just took a wide shot from Peter Fascinelli and Robin Tunney's zero gravity sex scene and used digital effects to darken Robin Tunney's skin so she would appear black and people would think (sighs) it was James Spader and Angela (laughs) Bassett. that's just not okay and uh, after all of that work and sinking like a bunch more money into the movie they basically just threw their hands in the air and released the movie in January when studios typically dump stuff that they don't have faith in yikes and so the movie that cost them between 60 and 90 million dollars ended up making 14.8 million in the box office, about 8 of which came from me. <laughs> <laughs> so
2: what name ends up on it as director?
1: Uh Thomas Lee, which is a, you know, like a stage name or a fake name for Walter Hill cuz he didn't want his name on the project.
2: Smart on his part cuz holy shit this movie stinks. <laughs> It's just bad. It's I mean, what I guess you're maybe are Milzly. Are you supposed to have an emotional feeling at the end when James Spader and Angela Bassett go through the, the warp speed and come out, and they both got one brown and one blue eye, and she's suddenly pregnant?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I'm not even sure, like, so they had sex earlier in the movie, so is it the robot telling them that she's pregnant because of that, or is she supposed to have somehow gotten pregnant because their genes were spliced when they went warp speed?
2: I mean, that's...
1: The fact that the computer tells them in that moment makes it feel like it's the latter. Yes. But that's weird, like, okay... It, it's like all when weird. They, I mean, but... when, when the warp speed ends and the pod opens, the computer tells them that... Because they shared the same space during the jump, 2% of their genomes or whatever, or like Mm -hmm. DNA, were crossed. And that was enough, I guess, for the eyes, and it could have been for the the baby. They don't explain it, it doesn't matter.
2: Any explanation's terrible. They blew up Robert Forrester, because he was in a faulty pod thing.
1: Yeah, which he got into of his own will, because... He decided to sacrifice himself, but he didn't tell anybody. But he knew it was faulty, or... Yeah, I mean, they basically explained it that he knew it was faulty, but instead of calling off the jump to warp speed or whatever, uh, he thought that, like, them getting there in time to help whoever the distress call was from was urgent enough that he basically sacrificed himself Mm -hmm. so that the doctor could live to help these people when they get there or whatever. I don't know.
2: Did we even get here? So, and Peter Fascinelli was actually the guy
1: yeah it turns out he was the former lover of Angela bassett, but he appeared younger because his contact with the pink Orb. purple thing made him younger looking which is just dumb it yeah I mean it's dumb. I, it's... <laughs> these are, these are these are
2: script level problems, and when you have a movie that doesn't even have a finished script, this is what you get in the end.
1: Well, it feels like it's four different movies, like, trying to coexist as one, because, like, it was supposed to be a monster movie, and they took out the monster, mm-hmm. and, you know, they're just yeah. uh, changing characters' relationships in the edit. Right. I mean. Uh, While it all just looks bad. Looks yeah. low
2: rent, just looks, you know, it's a spaceship that looks like shit they had lying around. They got a guy, they put a guy, wrapped him in tin foil and a robot mask. And, <laughs> Put a bomber jacket on him.
1: And I'm sure the outfit that they put on him was just to hide the fact that he didn't oh, really look like a robot at all. Yeah, like, they were uh, like, we need an excuse to have him wearing clothes.
2: Yeah. like someone get like a production assistant to go find a costume box. See what's in there. Oh, look, we got <laughs> pilot gear. Put that on him.
1: Yeah, they're filming a World War II movie over here, and they oh, let us borrow one of the jackets. Fuck. This doesn't make any sense. We'll just have a line of dialogue about it.
2: I mean, this Supernova is everything you think when you like sci-fi from the year 2000.
1: Yeah. Pretty it much. just
2: feels like you know this is what you get when this is like low effort and a, like you've described a horrible story behind the behind the scenes
1: yeah it just it that's like the thing to know about this movie like if you've heard of supernova then you know that it had like a really troubled path to the screen and it ended up being just a jumbled mess i mean if if i'm trying to be uh you know, kind to the film. There are little things here and there that I can point out as things that I thought were kind of interesting Go ahead. Uh, in and of themselves. Like they do not explore it at all. They basically have one scene in the beginning to set it up. And then the one scene where they try to pay it off later on, I kind of liked the idea of the computer having like uh, almost a form of artificial intelligence where it can make its own decisions. And later in the movie, the guy that programmed it is like trying to appeal Mm -hmm. to the humanity of the computer to get it to save him. But it like drags its feet and he gets that, that idea I liked. It's like, he's trying to convince the computer like, no, uh, you want me to live, and the computer's like, I cannot want. Want is a human emotion. <laughs> and then the guy's like, R- Quick, run a uh, a, a, a uh, simulation. Yeah, a simulation where I'm not around anymore, and you can't wake me up to play chess in the middle of the night. And then the computer runs it and decides like, Oh no, I do not want him to die. But then by that time, he's already dead. Like I thought that, that was w- a neat idea. In another movie, used yeah. better, like that could have been a cool idea.
2: In a good movie, sure.
1: Little things like that, even even the concept of, like, the thing that they find and, like, its purpose, it's kind of weird, but if it was in a better movie that and it made more sense and there was more focus on it and mm. it didn't just look like a wavy purple blob, <laughs> that even could have been the backbone of a decent movie, but this is just so, like, slapdash and thrown together. I guess, yeah, but then...
2: Every, everything that's done with the glowy orb is just awful
1: yeah so and like i would have liked to have seen the dude turn into a monster at the end yeah. and
2: i mean i could be sitting here saying like uh, well at least we got a monster in the end with a good makeup For I me, mean, like a makeup artist i'm aware of that i like but no yeah francis for coppola apparently the boardroom decisions <laughs> taking all the good stuff
1: that's just another thing, is he's one of the most like prestigious names in cinema directing. hmm And he had his hands in Supernova. <laughs> I feel like How it, wild feel, is that? There's no
2: way anyone involved in that movie like thinks positively about it.
1: No, I should think not. There's no way. No. It's utter garbage. <laughs> All right, shall we move on to our second oh, film? Yes, please. All right, from a mere month later, February 18th, the year 2000... We have Pitch Black.
0: Finally found something worse than me, huh? So here's the deal. You work without chains, without bit, and without shivs. You do what I say when I say it. For what? The honor of going back to some asshole of a cell? Fuck you. The truth is, is I'm tired of chasing you. you saying you'd cut me loose? I'm thinking you could have died in the crash. My recommendation to do me, don't take the chance that I'll get shit happy on your wannabe ass.
2: OK. Ghost me, motherfucker. That's what I would do to you.
0: I want you to remember this moment. The way it could have gone and didn't. Yeah. Fuck, Fuck you! you. Do we have a deal?
1: I want you to remember this moment. Now, as I mentioned. Uh, I saw this in the theater with my grandmother, mm-hmm. my grandmother on my father's side, uh, used to live in West Virginia. And, uh, when my grandfather died, she moved to our area to be closer to us. And, um, she liked going to the movies. And so in my youth for a good couple of years, I think about once a month, her and I went to the movies together. That's cool. And, uh. You know, this is this is one of the ones we saw. I remember being excited for it at the time because the trailers—it was like, you know, they showed creatures attacking people. Mm-hmm. And um, I've seen this movie a couple times over the years, but the outstanding memory that I have of seeing it for the first time was that walking out of the theater, I was disappointed that the creatures weren't the focus of the movie and that Riddick was. Mm. Like, I went to it thinking, oh, this is going to be a cool monster movie, and I walked out thinking, well, they barely did anything with the monsters because they were so focused on this guy with the shiny eyeballs. <laughs> I mean, that's certainly a thing. And so it's the kind of thing where I've rewatched the movie here and there over the years, and like, I've grown to enjoy it more, but I don't think I've ever gotten over that, like, I this is the only Riddick movie I've seen. I haven't seen either of the oh. sequels or, like, the anime or whatever, Uh huh. but... I still, on this rewatch, I still feel like Riddick isn't interesting enough <laughs> for this entire movie to be like centered around him. Mm. That's 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 where I land. How mm-hmm. how do you feel?
2: I think because um, I can remember like I've kind of I've always liked Vin Diesel. Just um, I probably probably first thing I saw him was in, like um, Saving Private Ryan.
1: Yeah, but even at the time, like nobody. Yeah, no, I just mean building up to to that. Like, really, I remember him in that, and like
2: Boiler Room, I think came out before this as well.
1: I want to say I read that this movie came out. It was in theaters the same time as Boiler Room. They might have even debuted on the same day or something.
2: Yeah, because I remember like seeing that long ago. Just going into just being a sci-fi monster movie, whatever. I was like, you know, always kind of gung ho to see those kind of things, especially in the theater. So. I can remember just enjoying this. I mean, at the time, I thought everything in it looked good. You know, I actually liked, I still do like Riddick. I mean, I could see the angle of saying, like, the interesting character where there's just so many Endless Monster movies where it's like there's never a good character or, <laughs> any, or any character yeah. that they even tried to make, like, interesting or different. So mm-hmm. I do, like, appreciate that from this movie. I mean... They had definitely had some missteps later, like using him again. Um, <laughs> so I can remember like enjoying him in this. I thought uh, I was like the idea of the the shine job though you can see in the dark. I mean, it's it ties into the movie. It's like, you know, of course, there's a character that could see in the dark when it's pitch black every 22 <laughs> years. And, you know, these things can't get weird way they see whatever. But, you know, that's why you tell this story, not like the story of the people that landed there first and all died, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Cause I like the cast in this. I like the whole angle with like, uh, what's his name? Cole Hauser or whatever.
1: Yeah. Um, John's. The yeah.
2: They're like whole thing back and forth, you know, kind of, there's like an early cat and mouse about Riddick, like is, uh, escaped from his shackles and is everyone's worried. And then, you know, it's, it's, Whatever point in the runtime it turns into a monster movie, but I still I do remember liking all that. I like the design of the creatures. You know, they got like a kind of like a funky hammerhead kind mm-hmm. of look, which is I kind of always like. You know, when when you can call back to Earth creatures, you know, but then they put a twist on it. Like I like
1: that when you can. Yeah, you I can like the them. the general design be because the head is like a noteworthy feature yeah the rest I do of feel it like the rest of the body like i have no concept while watching the movie of what it yeah. really looks like it has wings obviously but especially when i was watching it this time i was like thankfully
2: the head is so good because a it's hard to tell that it might just be like two arms and like kind of a couple tails and some wings i don't even know if there's too much like body structure Although yep. he does disembowel one, so there is one, It's it's got some kind of body at some point, but I don't think it's got proper legs or anything like that.
1: Yeah, I have a little bit better of an understanding of what it looks like now, because after watching the movie for this show, I watched some special features.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, just like over the course of the years watching the movie, I could have told you what the head looked like, but like not the rest of the body. Yeah. They do, in fact, have two tails, which the director, David Tui, he talks about with like some disdain that, you know, they had this design they were happy with. And there was like a studio exec that, in his opinion, basically just wanted to put his stamp on it and was uh, saying that they should have two tails. And he didn't have any real good reason, but they had to do it because he wanted it. Okay. Sounds like something, a decision someone would make at some point, you know? Yeah. But ultimately, it's
2: like we were always starving for monster movies. Yeah. You know, at every, in every turn.
1: That's the thing. Like I, I agree wholeheartedly as a fan of monster movies, like the nineties and the two thousands were not a very ripe, wealthy time for those. So Mm -hmm. it was kind of a, you know, I'll take what I can get kind of scenario, which I think is why I was, and to a degree still am disappointed by the monsters in the movie, because I think, The idea is solid of they crash land on this planet and every however many, like there's three suns, but every however many years, it just so happens that there's this eclipse and the creatures only come out when it's dark and now they're trapped there with them. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I like the idea of, you know, the, uh, the dangerous criminal who is the only one who can see in the dark. So they have to kind of rely on him, even though they don't trust him. I think that is a good idea. But at the end of the day, I think the thing that definitely bothered me as a kid, because I, you know, I I went in as a monster fan wanting to see monsters. And it still kind of bugs me now is that the monsters really are like a plot device. They're a means to an end. And there is still that part of me that's like, man, this could have been such a cool monster movie if it focused a little more on them. But so I I don't know I still watch it nowadays and there's like a lot of cool elements but I still don't find the movie super satisfying mm. and like the big ending is like there, there's not like a big climactic struggle with the monsters or anything it's like she runs out finds Riddick he's kind of fucked up and then she just gets stabbed and pulled away and then they fly off it's like yeah it just it I don't know it doesn't have like a great plot thrust for me like even I love the idea of they have to travel from point A to point B in the dark with whatever lights they can find. And it's like, as they go along, a couple people get picked off and their light is dwindling. But at all times you, I don't feel like I'm getting this tense impression of like, there's the monsters are right on the outside of their like light source, like mm-hmm. you you barely ever see them moving around like once or twice, like that moment is great when the uh, the one dude like blows the alcohol into oh, the yeah. flame and you see them all around him for like mm-hmm. half a second before the fire goes out, like that is a great moment and that's like one of the one best or, shots in the movie. Oh, absolutely! I, I wish there was more like that, like when they're. On the walk, like the slow walk from point A to point B in the dark with these things all around them. Mm -hmm. I wish that more of the emphasis was on we're in danger because these things are right here and we have to constantly combat them instead of infighting among the group. Like that's the thing that kind of annoys me is... And, and like, maybe it's just because I'm such a monster guy and someone who's less concerned about that watches this and gets a lot out of the character interactions. But at all times, I find myself thinking there's like an element here that they're not dealing with, which is the creatures. Like, it feels like they should always be on the verge of being eaten. And mm-hmm. there's long stretches where I feel like you can completely forget there's any monsters out there. That's just the way I feel. I don't. I don't know if that comes across to you at all, or if I'm just. Um, I mean, too uh, too tunnel vision on the creatures, but maybe. I mean, it's well. It's when you say like,
2: you know, people who are more focused on the monsters. Like I, you know, me, it's like I love a good monster movie too. So I could almost say any movie. Yeah, give me a little more monster, which I could I say just, to this. I feel too. like they're
1: underutilized. They're not explored enough. I don't know. And and if that's you know that's that's potentially it's not necessarily a flaw like that is the path they chose to go with this movie like the creatures are like a means to an end it's just the thing that like forces the characters to have to work together i guess but that you know be that as it may that is the thing that'll always hold this movie back from being Mm. like great for me a little bit is that like there's monsters there and they don't feel as important as i kind of think they should to me anyway I mean, they are the the crux of the plot, but I think
2: there's one shot when they they're first heading out with like their little like light rig, and you can see like the flock of monsters around them, mm-hmm. which is great. It's a great shot. Same thing with the guy blowing the fireball; like they're everywhere. But I I I can agree with you at some points when they're they're doing like right after that part with the where he blows the fireball, and like you never really get the sense that they're dozens and dozens of them around them at all times
1: yeah which it just would have could... been cool if there was more moments where you just saw like yeah like shifting shapes yeah. at the edge of the no stuff it's, def- and...
2: it's certainly like missing that aspect on especially on that run like you'd almost think there'd be more a chance of someone getting picked off that maybe could even use a little more cannon fodder i don't know
1: yeah um, it is funny that like the cannon fodder is essentially the three kids that come yeah. with Keith David and they just die. Right. All the kids die one yeah. by one. But even like Vin Diesel's, um, shine vision, the shine job, like every now and then you see from his point of view, like when, uh, there, it might've been, uh, the guy who blows the fire, um, when he dies and like you see from his point of view, Vin Diesel watching him, or it might be, Cole Hauser's character. But it, I remember, I feel like in that moment, it's like the character and then like f- three or four monsters on top of him. Mm-hmm. And I would expect the, like, the, the fact A that there are so them. many creatures, they would just be everywhere. Yeah. Or like when the creatures first come up out of the ground, when the, the uh, eclipse first happens, there's like massive swarms mm-hmm. of them. And like that first uh, woman who gets killed when uh, Vin Diesel like lays down on the ground and they go over top of him. Yep. It just seems like, uh, you know, within seconds of them coming out, they've spotted them, they're on them and they, they got her and they killed her. It just feels like that is a like scary, dangerous, tense situation to be in. And I lose that throughout the rest of the film. It's like, they did it that one time when the, the creatures first come out at, for like effect. And then, Mm-hmm. It doesn't ever feel like the creatures are that voracious or dangerous again. Yeah, no, you're
2: not. You're not wrong because, like you said, that scene where um he's watching what's happening to the body. I don't remember which character got killed either. But and then the the girl, the pilot, she's asking like what he's seeing, and he's not answering her. And he's just like watching them like fighting over the carcass. Yeah, but yeah, there's probably at max is only like eight or nine of them there, where there should be like you said, like he
1: should see it. You should, mm-hmm. They
2: actually should have showed more from his point of view of, like, a sea of these things around at all times.
1: Yeah, for sure. That would have helped. I mean, yeah. he he was the one who could see them. So it would have been awesome if there was parts where he was just standing there talking to somebody, and then they cut to his point of view, and beyond that person, there's just tons of them, like, mm-hmm. pacing back and forth like lions yeah. waiting for the lights to go oh, out. Oh, yeah. No, I'm like waiting that, on that. That would have been... So awesome if they had thought to do that, but that that would have added to it. I don't know if it was a budget concern or they just weren't concerned with that because again, they were concerned with the characters instead or something, but
2: I mean, just because they they got a couple good, like I said, a couple good shots of like the sea of creatures around someone. So it's like and again, this is two thousand, so it's everything's computer generated. So mm-hmm. who knows? Um so like I was saying when we first started talking, like at the time, I can remember the whole thing looking great. I mean, it doesn't look as great now. There's a lot of, for me, it's like almost, the the movie loses some shine just because of like a lot of the early 2000s kind of look to the whole thing. When they, they're yeah. starting out on the planet and like everything's like super washed out and bright, it's just mm-hmm. aesthetically just it does not appeal to me at all. I get why they're doing it. I feel it's unnecessary and it just kind of makes a lot of those scenes ugly. Yeah. And, like, kind
1: of just, like, glaring to watch. Like, I just well, want it to end. Here's something I thought was really interesting, because I never would have guessed this. Mm-hmm. It's not the colors. Like, you know, there's the blue sun and there's the yellow sun. So there's right. parts of the movie where everything is blue. Yep. But that washed out look that you're talking about, that is a physical effect. It's not like they CG'd those shots. Okay. I never would have guessed it. So I didn't know anything no. about this until I watched the special features. Apparently, when you process film, uh, like the nitrate film that they were that they mm-hmm. uh, used to, when they actually used like film for movies, mm-hmm. there were three different chemicals that you would put the uh, the film through to like process it. The second one was, I think they called it a bleach, and it removes the silver nitrate mm-hmm. from the film stock. Mm-hmm. But if you skip that step then it makes all the light colors and like all the whites kind of uh, blow out and so like the director had a fight with the studio over he wanted to do it but they were concerned like if you do it and it doesn't work then like that the film stock ruined. is ruined yeah but he like pushed for it and that's what they did I agree that aesthetically, I don't really like it. It just looks like a ugly early two thousands effect. Yeah, but I thought it was interesting that it was like a physical thing that they did.
2: I do find the process is interesting.
1: Yeah, but the result still result yeah. is still bad. Still, the like ends do not justify un- completely the
2: means. unnecessary. Like I, that, you did not need that in that movie to make me feel like oh, it's really bright out. Like just mm-hmm. instead, just makes it ugly.
1: Just those tints as well, like where everything is blue and everything is yellow. And yeah. like, I understand that there's three suns and one of them is blue, but it's just like from scene to scene, everything is blue or everything is yellow. And it feels like not that much time yeah. has passed where one sun would overtake the others. Yeah. And it just, just unnecessary. it just feels, just yeah. like does,
2: It adds nothing.
1: Yeah. It's kind of sloppy and flashy. It just makes me think, well, mm-hmm. these are the days following like uh, Fight Club and... Yes. I remember one of the first movies to really do the color grading thing was um, Saving Private Ryan, where everything was kind of brown and gray,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where they would like yep. tint the entire, or like the Matrix, yeah. everything was green. Yep. So it feels like, oh, this is just, you know, following the trends More of the of day. Yeah, and it's just, it...
2: at one point later in the movie, I don't remember what point, I was like, man, I was like, how much potentially, how much better could this movie have been if it made like 10 years earlier? Like, oh si- yeah, similar... Same script, everything. Just like, you know, same characters and everything, but just like a different time in Hollywood, you know? So mm-hmm. ultimately that's kinda of how I feel about it. Still enjoy it. Just bought it recently even, just to like have the
1: extras and <laughs> so did I on uh Blu-ray from Arrow. Right. So
2: um yeah, I still enjoy it. It's always gonna be a movie I'll enjoy. And not even so much just for nostalgic reasons, but like I liked it. You know, I've always liked monster movies, so it still falls in that, and now I can see it, like, when I know better, the things that, like, seemed good at the time and aren't aren't timeless decisions, like the different things we were just talking about, so. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still plenty for me to enjoy in it. You know, I think you actually did make some good points about, like, they're definitely in that middle part of their, their trip. They could have uh, certainly ramped up
1: the the terror aspect of being surrounded by a sea of creatures. Yeah. I just wish that the tension was heightened a little more through that entire, after, after the eclipse happens, I, I just, it's almost like the characters are telling me that uh, they're in danger, but I don't really feel it. And yeah, as someone who's into monsters and like, I've always said that, you know, Frankenstein, Dracula, these don't interest me as much, but an original monster with its own rules and stuff is what I really like. Like Mm -hmm. the Graboids or the alien from aliens or the predator. And like, this has that potential, these creatures. Like, I love the idea that it's not just, they like the, they don't like the light, but it actually hurts them. But I feel like after they show that on the dead one by holding the light up to it and you see its skin kind of changing. Mm-hmm. They they never really use that later in the movie. It never really comes up again and I would have liked to have seen that explored a little more like the different ways that they could fight them off. Yeah. But I mean that all comes from the fact that the monsters don't factor in <laughs> as much well, as yeah, you expect that, them to. At that
2: point the movie's like getting close to close to the end, so.
1: Yeah. That whole part where they're going through the the like crevasse mm-hmm. and the uh monsters start killing each other in the sky above them like what was that all about like it happens but i don't know why
2: yeah well yeah there's there's no no one there to explain it i just i was
1: like are these just, just...
2: well it doesn't even make sense because if it's like they're underground this whole time and there's no food so i was like are they just is this some kind of like frenzy because they're hungry but no it's not like these things just hatched either
1: yeah, I was thinking it could be that or is it some kind of like slightly higher thinking where they're trying to use their own blood to extinguish like the lights or something like I it's it's not it's not explained. It just happens and I don't right. really know why. And then the characters have like blue slime on them for a little yeah. while. Yeah, that could have that could have not been a thing. But yeah, even like Riddick's like his decision to go back and help save the two people towards the end. I don't fully understand it's like it feels like you're trying like a,
2: to play him like the anti-hero but it's i guess you know has a conscience suddenly
1: yeah and then like uh at the end of the movie the main character the the female lead rada mitchell she dies she gets like impaled by one of the monsters and pulled off into the darkness mm-hmm. Uh that was supposed to be vin diesel that happened to not oh, her yeah Oh, wow. But um apparently during filming Vin Diesel and the writer director David Tui, they like got to talking about the character and like you know coming up with all this backstory and stuff for him and they thought to themselves like we could do more with this character he's pretty interesting so they on the fly decided to kill her instead of him hmm. Well Milzy you should watch the Chronicles of Riddick someday so you can see just how crazy it goes <laughs> I've seen with Riddick. The scene in that movie where he's on like a prison planet where the sun will like burn you if you're in direct sunlight. So they're like running from the sun as it's rising or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's the only part that I've seen. And I oh. know there's a third one that came out. There is. I think it was just Riddick. I saw yeah. it,
2: I've seen all, I saw the anime. I've seen it all. But I don't even <laughs> remember a lick of the the most recent one.
1: Just the Riddick. Did you know there's another one coming? Nope. Uh, I guess from what I was reading, Riddick. It's like retconned that he's a member of this tribe called the the Furians. Oh,
2: in and in the new one or in the
1: last one? In one of the other movies, it's it's explained. So basically, again, I I won't get too deep into this, but I was just doing a little ancillary reading in this movie. In Pitch Black, he explains that. He was in a prison where it was like dark, and so you can pay like a doctor or whoever to do a shine job so you can see in the dark, which is like the glowy eyes that he has. But then I guess according to what I was reading in one of the sequels, I think Chronicles of Riddick, they retcon that to say that the tribe that he comes from, that's like an inherent ability of theirs to see in the dark or something.
2: I don't remember that from Chronicles of Reddick. It could be. I mean, it's been so long. That's that's,
1: that's what there. I read on IMDb or Wikipedia or something like that. Um, again, I don't know. This is just what I read, mm-hmm. but apparently, yeah. So they retconned that he comes from a certain tribe of people uh, called the Furians, and this next movie that's uh, like in production or pre-production right now is called Furia. So, like, I guess it's about his home world or something. Okay. I don't know. That this this is just stuff that I saw yeah. that I'm half remembering.
2: Well hold on, I just gotta add Chronicles of Riddick to the
1: <laughs> list
2: of future trifectas. Okay.
1: Uh the contact lenses worn by Vin Diesel in the movie were a prototype, and after the first day of filming they could not get them out of his eyes. Oh and they had to, they were filming like in this remote part of Australia and they had to fly an optometrist in from the nearest town three hours away to get them off of his eyes. Jesus. Which, That's you know, scary. I have a thing about eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never want to put a contact in anyway, but I would never touch them again if that was the case. <laughs> I'd be like, sorry, you're going to have to g my yeah. eyes from now on. I do. I think the look of them is cool. I do. I do like the the shine job look in the movie. Mm-hmm. yeah I think it's pretty cool it's a it's a neat idea. I do like mm-hmm. that idea yeah Lens quest briefly made a mainstream version of the contact lenses available to the public what <laughs> so you could actually have shine job lenses. My birthday's coming up mills <laughs> I don't think they're available Enough. anymore oh unfortunately i'll just have to get a silver sharpie right. wah, next time I wah. see you. oh boy. the film was originally titled Nightfall and was about a female outlaw named. Tara Krieg, with tribal tattoos and enhancements from her interstellar tribe of barbarians. Uh, there was no eclipse, only a two-month day and two-month night. And instead of aliens, the villains were ghosts that only came out in the dark. Jeez. That was the original Jeez. script. Jeez Louise. Written by Ken and Jim Wheat, who are known for A Nightmare on Elm Street *For The Dream Master, The Fly 2, and Ewoks: The Battle for Endor, oh wow, which they wrote and directed. <laughs> 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 yeah, and then David Tui came on board, um, and he like changed everything and basically made it what it is. Uh, he also wrote Waterworld, which we have reviewed Ooh. before, mm-hmm. and uh, he also wrote The Fugitive, which oh, was a little surprising. Yeah, I was expecting that. Uh, but he also gave the world, the Charlie Sheen vehicle, The Arrival.
2: Ooh, have I seen that? I don't think so.
1: I saw it back when it came out. It was like an alien invasion movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, he also wrote the script for Critters 2. Oh. Which was always my favorite when I was a kid.
2: So I was just going to say, your favorite.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, and he wrote G.I. Jane. So he's oh. been all over the map. Okay, too. So, uh. That's pitch black.
2: Let's uh, get into some Red Planet action.
1: All right. Time for movie number three. From November 10th, 2000, we have Red Planet.
2: Some kind of nematode. Sparks ignited them. They're
0: feeding on the algae.
2: That's where it went. They're feeding on the algae. Come on. Son of a bitch. Shut it. I
0: thought there wasn't any life here. I was wrong!
2: Mm. What? But there's water and air, there's life! You're so smart to take those things with us? Smart? You look at how important this is, huh? I'm the Jenner, remember? Hey, Earth loses oxygen. Did you see how those things burn? They make it. They eat algae and they make O2. I finally get it. I told you I'd solve this damn thing. Why are the nematodes here? Because there's something left to eat.
0: In green fields like this
1: since I was a kid. Uh, so again, this one, all I knew was that it took place on Mars and that there was like a, uh, a rogue kind of uh, Mars rover robot <laughs> that was trying mm-hmm. to kill everybody. That is all I knew about this one. I had zero basis for this. I watched this on Hoopla mm.
2: and it has like a poster where it's just like, um like floating heads of Carrie Ann Moss and um, Val Kilmer. Maybe who's the other one? That's on Tom Sizemore. Yeah, I think it's Tom Sizemore, and they're just like floating heads above the
1: supernova. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, oh, supernova or above planet Mars?
2: Uh, above Mars, sorry. But it's got like it's got like a some kind of like energy thing coming off of it. It looks like it's it's got a little weird. But anyway, so that's all of the hmm. basis I had. I remembered that Val Kilmer was in. A Mars movie, but the rest of the cast was uh was a surprise. You know, it's probably like just after the Matrix, carrying him off, like popping up and things and
1: yeah, yeah. This was the year after the Matrix came out, mm-hmm. so I'm sure she was hot in the streets for a few minutes.
2: Oh yeah, so yeah, there's a couple. It's Tom Sizemore. Who else is in that? Who um? Uh, Terrence that... Stamp is the Terrence old Stamp. astronaut. Yep. Who's the? I'm already forgetting his face. The guy that gets pushed off the the cliff
1: uh benjamin bratt oh yes from Catwoman. Mm. oh <laughs> yes of course
2: <laughs> yes there's a couple that the whoever pushes him off is a guy i know his face but i don't know who he is
1: yeah he's the only one i wasn't really familiar with his name is simon baker uh he's in the ring two and devil wears prada were like the biggest things i mm. saw i know Most it's, noteworthy. i know i've seen his list. face but um yeah
2: yeah, so watching this, I had no basis for what was going to happen. I didn't know if it was a monster movie. I was still thinking, I was like, I know this is not this is not Mission to Mars. So I was like, do they meet Martians? Like, what's the deal? No, no clue that there was uh, going to be some robot in it. <laughs> or that it was even, like, ultimately was basically uh, a series of errors, and then they're just kind of outrunning this robot that got a bonk on its head and is now <laughs> back into yeah.
1: military... Uh, it's 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 set in military mode. It just all that reminded me of is uh, I know you're not the biggest Simpsons watcher, but uh, there's a classic Treehouse of Horror segment that's kind of playing on uh, Child's Play, mm-hmm. where Bart has a crusty doll that Homer <laughs> buys for him for his birthday from like uh, it's essentially like the shop in Gremlins, where the dad mm-hmm. gets the Mogwai from like the creepy old okay. Asian guy. Yep. So he buys like this crusty doll. And uh, it's trying to kill Bart. And at the end, they take it back to the store and uh, they unzip the back of his shirt. And he's like, oh, you just had it set in evil mode. And they flip the switch to like nice (laughs) mode. And then Krusty's Mm -hmm. like, I love you. (laughs) Like, that's what I was thinking of in this. This robot has two modes. It's like um, exploration mode and military mode. murder mode. And it's the dumbest thing it's not even like i would it would have made more sense if they had said when you set it in military mode then it like defends us it's like it's then yeah. protecting like the the astronauts right. from like some other dangerous force yeah. like what if we run into martians or maybe it could be used in a human war instead of like on on mars or something but no they explain that it's in military mode so it's playing war games right but still kills people yeah so it's like toying with them just yeah. as an excuse so that like the robot doesn't come and murder all three of the astronauts immediately right. it's it's just one of those dumb like writing things so that, dumb it's like why why
2: is there why would nasa or whatever just have their own robot why are they reusing a military version you know the whole thing it's just yeah it's just i don't know then it turns into like martian insect movie and i was like <laughs> this thing's all over the place
1: Yeah, so essentially the premise of this movie is however many years in the future Earth has become, like, overpopulated and we're, like, depleting our resources. So we're attempting to colonize Mars, and in the past we have sent up, like, um, you know, Mars rovers and things with uh, algae on them to, like, populate the planet with algae, which, which will then hopefully create breathable oxygen. So we're basically terraforming the planet from afar And then uh, our sensors show that uh, the algae and the atmosphere is dissipating. So they send the first manned mission to Mars to find out what's going on. Of course, things go wrong. Uh, You know, the mission is kind of foobar. A couple of astronauts make it down to the surface. And then they find that their base is destroyed. And they think they're going to die from lack of oxygen. And in their death throes, they take off their helmets and realize, hey, the air actually is breathable. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, Carrie Ann Moss is like the leader of the mission. She stayed behind on the main ship in orbit.
2: She put in a good three or four days of work on the movie.
1: (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Uh, She just had to talk over a microphone for the most part. But it's like she's running out of fuel. So if she wants to return home uh, to Earth, then she has to do it. There's like a ticking clock. Um, Meanwhile, the guys down on the surface. You know what it really reminded me of this movie Mm -hmm. is The Martian. Yeah. For sure. Cuz in that movie it's like Matt Damon is stuck on Mars and he has to use like all of his wits and I think there's even a part where he goes to find like an old Mars probe to use like parts of it to like mm-hmm. try and save himself. Yep. And then there's like the other astronauts on the mothership that decide to come back and try and rescue him. This movie is pretty much that except Mm-hmm. With more sci-fi elements right. and not nearly as clever or right. fun.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's like instead of Matt Damon like using his own poop to fer- fertilize his like potato farm, you got like the most miscast Tom Sizemore as like a geneticist or something. <laughs> yeah, spouting a bunch of gobbledygook, and I'm just, like, <laughs> Tom Sizemore, like
1: so miscast. Yeah, they find some like. Martian insects and he's just like throwing out all these weird words of what they are. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, I don't believe that you would know. Yeah. I don't. Any of this. Just,
2: who whose decision was it? even like, I don't even hate Val Kilmer, but the first shot you see of him and he's wearing those goofy sunglasses. And <laughs> like,
1: Oh boy. Well, this is um, another one where it doesn't, it's not as obnoxious as something like Jason X or the aforementioned supernova, but it, it's like, while the spaceship looks more, normal and kind of realistic and the spacesuits and everything mm-hmm. and the premise isn't so like obnoxious there's just these this vibe of like the 90s where like all yes. that stuff where they're like affably hanging out on the spaceship before they actually get to mars and they're like using their science gadgets to make uh moonshine mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh they're all like hanging out and joking with one another. Like all that stuff feels like it's right out yeah. of the nineties. I mean, I watched supernova first,
2: this second, then Riddick. And then when I was just watching this more so like supernova, I was just like, this is bad. But even like watch a red plane. I was just like, why is this a movie? Like, <laughs> just why? Like, how did this, like, what, what was
1: about this that just had to be made? See, this is another instance where kind of like um like supernova, where supernova I said it felt like four different movies all trying to coexist at the same time, and none mm-hmm. of them really work. This one is like okay, it's got that martian the Martian element where they these people get trapped on a planet and have to figure out a way to survive and get off like that's cool uh then, if there was a movie that was about like a rogue killer robot i I'm not opposed to that idea, and then if there was a movie about um You know, we go to Mars and we discover that there's these like insect creatures there and exploring what that means. Like that's, Mm I mean, I'm into that, but all three of them happening at the same time, it feels like they're fighting with one another. Like totally always in the background. We know that they're looking for this algae, but then all of a sudden, right at the end of the movie, they find these algae fields and these bugs appear. And then Tom Sizemore lights them on fire and they start exploding and within like five minutes of the movie, he has not only discovered but figured out exactly what these things are. Yeah. And it just feels like so such stupid. an afterthought.
2: They just look like earth
1: bugs. And the uh the robot, like, you know, we're introduced in the very beginning to the fact that it has military mode when Val Kilmer is like fucking around with it. And then when it comes when it lands on the planet and it comes and finds them and it like breaks one of Tom Sizemore's ribs just for fun (laughs) and then runs away. Like Mm -hmm. we're aware that this thing is out there allegedly stalking them, but if it was actively stalking them, I feel like they would have gotten attacked sooner and more frequently. Yeah. But it's it's just always kind of in the background when they need to move the plot along a little, it appears out of nowhere. Like what has the robot been doing for the last like eight hours? It's like same like you said with Riddick, it's like, where is this
2: thing that's supposed to be, you know, bearing down? This on constant the sense of danger. Yeah.
1: yeah, you're being hunted, but it never feels like you are. Everything's so casual
2: mm-hmm. because
1: it just feels like none of these individual elements was the sole focus of the movie. Right.
2: I mean, at one point that robot takes like a kung fu pose, and I was just like, get oh, the
1: fuck out of
2: here! Yeah, but, you're killing me with this movie, Val Kilmer.
1: <laughs> Some of the stuff with the robot, like the way that it, you know would flip over and you know, it didn't have like a forwards or a backwards because it was just robotic parts moving around. Like that kind of stuff is cool. But yeah, when it like stands up, takes a karate Mm -hmm. pose and its hands are spinning like fucking buzzsaw blades. It's pretty fucking stupid.
2: I mean, it's bad enough. It just like, looks like a bad CGI robot. You Mm -hmm. know, again, if it was just like someone made it and it was cool, it could like, you know, the form of it, I did like, like you said, but
1: Mm -hmm.
2: of course when it's in like uh kill mode, it's just like turns into a Bruce Lee or something.
1: I even like the idea that it has like this drone that it can send out. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. To yeah, like yeah. keep an eye on things. But then it was like, you know, Val Kilmer you never has saw that, that
2: though either. You barely saw that thing.
1: No, not much. Val Kilmer has that uh, wristband thing mm-hmm. where he can like see like the the feed of whatever it's seeing. Yeah. The Windows 98 feed. <laughs> yeah. It's like uh, it. When, he, he has some kind of dialogue at some point where he's like, it's jamming the signal because it doesn't want us to know where it is. But then at other times, like, it, why wouldn't it always jam the signal? Right. At yeah. other times, it's like he can look at his wrist and he can see where it is, but then only think, when it's convenient does it decide to jam yeah. the signal. It's it doesn't just,
2: work for the plot, Mills.
1: Yeah, I don't know. This movie, so this is one where I remember – Having the overwhelming feeling over the years of like, I kind of wanted to see this, Mm
2: -hmm. but
1: I always knew in the back of my head that it was about like a rogue robot. And I was less interested in like, our robot has accidentally malfunctioned is trying to kill us than I would be about like, let's do some sci-fi space, like alien stuff or something. So I just like never got around to it. And, um. I will say that I do think the movie is better than I was anticipating it to be but similar to Supernova not enough to you know say that it was a positive experience.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, if this felt where Supernova watching that was just like a pain to watch, this I just felt like a chore to get through cuz the same thing it's all these like all these different elements. I don't think like any I wasn't particularly into the cast or any anything with the script or anything that happened I found exciting. It had all the year 2000 shit I didn't want to see, like the aforementioned Windows 98 uh, (laughs) interface on everything and just the bad effects. I will say the ship was much, much better than Supernova, and I actually really liked the spacesuits from this one. Mm -hmm. Like, legitimately, I was like, these are cool and different. Like, I dig this. So that,
1: like, excited me
2: as I was watching the movie, but then it only went downhill from there.
1: Yeah, so I would say like if uh, if you're curious about Red Planet, just watch The Martian. Yeah, pretty much. Like I, it, I know that The Martian was based on a book. I don't know when the book came out, but it really does feel like somebody watched Red Planet and was like, "Hmm, I could do this way better," and then they did.
2: Mm-hmm. Like get your fix of the year 2000 Mars with Mission to Mars. Skip this. Yeah, watch
1: The Martian. You know, I haven't, I do remember liking Mission to Mars. I haven't seen it in a very long time. So, for all I know, that's dog shit too, but (laughs) um, (laughs) who knows? Yeah. I mean, I think that was the movie that basically made Brian De Palma leave Hollywood. Oh. Yeah, it was like that and whatever movie he made right before it, he had bad experiences on, and then they like tanked at Mm -hmm. the box office or something. So, he basically left. I think he moved to France, and he's only made independent films since then. (laughs) All right. So maybe Mission to Mars isn't great. I don't know. Well, let's add it to a trifecta. <laughs> I mean, Gary Sinise and Tim Robbins are pretty good, but I mean, you know, Val Kilmer, Tom Sizemore, Carrie Ann Moss, these people aren't slouches.
2: No, they're just in a real bad movie. Yeah. you miscast in a
1: bad movie. Uh, $80 million budget, $33.5 million box office Ooh. for this one, so. Ouch. Crashed and burned. Uh-huh. <laughs> This is the first and heretofore only movie ever directed by Anthony Hoffman. Oh. Yeah. So I don't know anything about this guy. Not that I think there's anything to know. He was like a kind of young up and coming filmmaker. And I think the producer of this movie basically gave him the gig because he said he liked to like help up and comers like get their start. And then the movie was kind of a catastrophic failure at the box office. And he just hasn't done anything since. I think he has one upcoming project on Mm -hmm. uh, IMDb, but I think it's like a a Chinese film or something. See, that's the interview I'd like to watch is him now talking about Red Planet. Yeah, for sure. Him talking about Red Planet, the guy who directed Dungeons and Dragons and like nothing else. I want to hear from these people. Yeah, like how how they hate
2: (laughs) their lives after these terrible movies.
1: Yeah. Uh, the one real anecdote that I could find about this that was worth bringing up is that, uh, so apparently Val Kilmer and Tom Sizemore were friends before filming began. Mm -hmm. And then like, you know, from heat. They knew each other from heat. That's right. They were in heat together. You know, uh, I don't, I don't know much about Tom Sizemore, but Val Kilmer is known to be like kind of a, a difficult person to work with and kind of a, a method actor prima donna. Uh so they were friendly when the filming began and then they had a falling out during the film apparently over the fact that val kilmer was annoyed or angry that the studio paid to ship tom sizemore's exercise machine to the set for him to use okay weird i don't know why this bothered him so much Uh but i i read that apparently he you know In their argument, he shouted something about like, I make $10 million on this movie and you only make two. Like, why should you get an exercise machine or something like that? Like, it broke down to the point that they were like throwing weights at one another. (laughs) And they got in like a physical altercation to the point where during the course of filming... They refuse to be on set together a lot of the time. So there's lots of scenes apparently in the movie where they had to use body doubles for whichever one of them whose face you didn't see. Wow. And then uh, Tom Sizemore calls the film one of his career regrets. Mm -hmm. But uh, he says that he and Val Kilmer have buried the hatchet since.
2: (laughs) Oh. Makes sense on all accounts.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Why Val Kilmer get upset about his exercise Stupid. machine? Like, why this would you give
2: a shit about that? But it's Val Kilmer. Oh, he's yeah.
1: weird. Yeah. Red Planet,
2: baby. <laughs> Red
1: planet. <laughs> All right. Shall we look <laughs> at some posters? Please. That's some doozies. So the one for supernova, <laughs> we discussed this just before recording. I was not familiar with this image. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from what we can tell, the one that I'm more familiar with, which is almost like the two faces of James Spader and Angela Bassett on the left of, this, of the poster with like uh, almost like the curvature of a planet off yep. to the right of them. Actually, not that bad. No, it, I mean, it's okay for a poster with yeah. just two giant faces on it. But mm-hmm. uh, that seemingly is like a, a VHS DVD box cover. This one that appears to be the official movie poster, what the fuck were they thinking? This is, like,
2: legit. it's definitely on the show, since we've been talking posters, the worst use of some tagline ever. <laughs> the tagline is, like, the primary focus of the poster. All hell is about to break loose.
1: I mean, it's in the center of the poster. It's huge. It's surrounded by, like, a white, glowy, flashy effect the two actors' faces who are on it, we only see, like, their noses and eyes above it. Uh, the spaceship is half covered up by the tagline. hmm And then the kind of boring title font is just down at the bottom.
2: It's just blue and white and ugly and just with a terrible tagline and usage of said tagline. Yeah. This movie stinks just as bad as the movie for this poster.
1: <laughs> it also annoys me that... Uh, the font is like a combination of capital and lowercase letters. Oh, I don't know yeah. why that bothers me so much, but it does.
2: Yep. No, that's a good point, actually. That like, of, in you know, the word about me.
1: lowercase A, capital B.
2: Yeah, hey, yeah t- 100% mills. That cause.
1: could be lowercase or capital O and U, but then a lowercase T. It's just yeah. super weird. It's stupid. It's dumb. Like- I mean it sucks there's nothing good to say about it (laughs) no it's like we're trying to sell a movie on these two actors i can't believe this was like the theatrical poster this like i would buy that this was like a magazine ad or something maybe Mm -hmm. no it's got everything that tells you it's a poster it is it is rough It's it's awful yeah pitch black i gotta say i don't remember this poster not much better than supernova I do remember this. I forgot completely about it
2: until I looked it up. Um, it's better than Supernova. Not saying
1: much. It's weird. It feels very year Two Thousand as well. I mean, let's pretend you you haven't seen a, a trailer for this. You don't know what the mm-hmm. movie is. All right, Pitch Black doesn't really tell you a whole lot about it. That's that's fine. It's the title. Fight evil with evil. Mm-hmm. What does that really tell you? I mean it technically works in the movie because it's like the bad guy is helping us fight the monsters. Only
2: after watching the movie would you be like, "Oh, that's why that terrible tagline is there."
1: Uh, yeah. The uh the weird exploding face in the center makes no sense unless you've seen the movie and know that that's what again, yeah. uh, the alien vision looks like. And then would you even at a glance get that this takes place in outer space? The only thing is like that Saturn-ish kind of ring. But
2: again, it's like, would I catch that if I hadn't seen the movie already? Just what
1: does this poster do to advertise the film? Nothing. 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 <laughs> it's, a, it's a terrible probably poster. probably why the, you don't see this
2: anywhere else. All the box arts after the fact we we're, were not this.
1: And that's probably because Vin Diesel became a name after mm-hmm. this movie. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, he had been in one or two things like Saving Private Ryan. But like the year after this movie, Fast yeah. and the Furious comes out. And I mean, Pitch Black made him a recognizable face as well. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like the biggest movie on the planet. I think it did no. like 50 million or something at the box office. Yeah. But, but yeah, I guess leading up to the movie coming out, he wasn't a name. He didn't have a recognizable face. So they just figured it wasn't worth putting him on there. I don't know. Yeah, they're just like we're just gonna throw a gradient on this title, tagline, <laughs> and this
2: exploding face thing that you won't have any reference for.
1: I did read or I did uh, uh hear in the interview with David Tui on the uh, the Blu-ray that um the studio had found like he wouldn't say who it was, but he was like one of the big action stars of the day wanted to do the movie. Mm -hmm. But uh, David Toohey was aware of the fact that he was like kind of a prima donna and tough to work with. So he refused and the studio was like, you're telling us that you would rather not make this movie than make it with this guy? And David Toohey stuck to his guns and said yes. And then like a day later they came back and were like, okay, who do you want to go with? (laughs) And that's how Vin Diesel ended up in the movie because he had done like a screen test with him and liked him. Really? Yeah. Because he was a nobody at the time
2: Yeah Okay I can dig it
1: Thought that was pretty cool But uh, yeah. yeah Doesn't have anything to do with how bad this poster is I'd love to know who that was yeah, yeah I would really like to know as well Yeah. I don't know who was the big action star of the day in the year 2000 Still could have been Arnold
2: I mean that or Tom Cruise or something Yeah maybe I don't know
1: Val Kilmer <laughs> Very <laughs> possibly <laughs> uh, Speaking of Val Kilmer Red Planet The Color of Fear <laughs> not a sound, not a warning, not a chance, not alone.
2: I mean, it's a robot, it makes all types of noise, so I'm not, even sure I mean, also, also gives away, you can breathe on Mars. <laughs> That's a
1: good point, that did not occur to me, because they have their helmets <laughs> off. Okay, so, grading on a curve here, because this isn't an amazing poster, it doesn't commit, too many cardinal sins.
2: It's far better appealing wise.
1: Yeah, I like the colors. I like how mm-hmm. it's so red with the oh, bright yeah. ass white text. Perfect. I'd use
2: that. I'd use that all day in a poster.
1: Yeah, just as an intriguing visual,
2: mm-hmm.
1: one astronaut helping another one in trouble, and looking on at something that is casting a yeah kind of creepy four legged shadow right. on them. Clearly not I, human. Yeah, I dig that. Oh yeah. It's not the greatest indicator of what the movie is cuz it looks kind of like a horror film and at the end of the day, I mean the the robot that's chasing them is so Oh yeah, this this
2: sells this as like horror on
1: Mars, which this movie yeah. is not. Of the three posters, this would put my ass in a seat. Oh, without a doubt. This but, this and this poster is
2: far better than the movie.
1: <laughs> yeah. I kind of I want to see the movie that this poster is advertising yeah, cuz totally. it's not the one we watched. Absolutely. But I I don't hate this poster. Yeah. It's pretty good. I got to agree. Hey, let's flip the script for a change. Oh. Dex, give it to the people. Oh shit,
2: falls on me. Right. <laughs> um red planet. I am going to give uh, four exploding firefly alien bugs.
1: <laughs> I did not know what to think when those things started fucking shooting Ooh, out of that yeah. guy's body yeah, like, like fucking fireworks.
2: I was like, "Is This thing going to crawl in Tom Sizemore's ear as he's sticking it in that? <laughs> like, what is about to happen?" But yeah, I wasn't expecting that the fireworks. Like, I, I was
1: literally sitting there, like mouth agape, like I just couldn't wrap my head around what was happening. Like it did mm-hmm. not feel like something that belonged in the movie up to that point. And I was just like, "What? What? Where? Where are they headed with this?" Yeah, I'm with you. Okay,
2: so we got four there. Uh, I'm gonna go work backwards. Pitch black. I will give oof. only in that it's like black, white, and gray. It's like an aesthetically pleasing uh, to me. I will give this uh, two mm, vintage cognac bottles that they use <laughs> for
1: to light their way, filled with glowing
2: bugs. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, then then turn to glowing bugs. Yep, I like that supernova is going to because i don't like to give things zeros this will get uh one fucking breakdancing robot head <laughs> with a pilot's helmet on <laughs>
1: stupid uh, very good
2: thank you thank you
1: man <laughs> break <dancing. laughs> so stupid oh good stuff so bad
2: love it love this show
1: All right, uh, are you ready to buy Borrow and Burn? Mine should be pretty clear. Yeah, I have a sneaking suspicion we may match up. (laughs) Yeah, I'll be very surprised
2: if we don't.
1: Uh, I'm going to go ahead and buy Pitch Black, Mm -hmm. which I have done in real life, as I mentioned. You know, still not my favorite science fiction movie in the world. I think there's a lot to like there. I don't know if it'll ever 100% come together for me, but it's a pretty solid genre film. Second place for me, it's the lesser of two evils, is (laughs) going to be Red Planet, because it is not an absolute fucking train wreck like Supernova, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which the only good thing I can say about it is that it wasn't as bad as I was expecting it to be, based on how the movie only gets trashed by word of mouth mm. any time you ever hear about it. So interesting. I think that Supernova rightfully gets launched into the sun.
2: I mean, in name, it has to. <laughs> Millsy, we agree completely. I'm gonna buy as I have in real life. Pitch Black. It's it's lost a little bit of its shine for me over the years, but I still enjoy it. Like was you that said, a pun. It's a good... Of course. <laughs> <laughs> i don't quite need a shine job to see it but still got a little bit left i do dig it it's things i don't like it's got the a sheen of the, the year 2000 that uh definitely takes it down a notch for me but
1: still very enjoyable man you really got me thinking when you said like what if it had been made 10 years earlier uh, yes right I, that movie without like the cgi for the creatures yes I would really love to see what that would have looked like if it was like, if it had to be a little smaller scale. Mm-hmm. Mm hmm. That could have been interesting. Yeah. Like put,
2: put, uh, six or eight guys in creature suits, following them around. Mm hmm. Rather than like a thousand flying ones, you know? Boys can dream, Millsy. <laughs> uh, yeah. Lesser, lesser of two evils is, uh, Red Planets. It's pretty much dog shit, but <laughs> it, it has a couple redeeming qualities, unlike the atrocious supernova. Completely forgettable dog shit movie, I'm sure. Anyone involved with it wishes they weren't. <laughs> it is going to be supernovaed right into the sun. Just yep. one of the worst I've ever seen on this show.
1: <laughs> yeah, well. I would watch Leprechaun
2: 4 before I watched Supernova. <sighs>
1: I, I don't know if I can commit to that <laughs> I'd watch Abraxas And Leprechaun 4 Before I haven't, I'd watch Supernova I have an easier time saying I would re- Rewatch Abraxas <laughs> than I would uh, Leprechaun 4 I think Abraxas is an awful Like it's hardly a movie but Leprechaun 4 Just grated <laughs> on my fucking nerves <laughs> I mean
0: Hardly a movie <laughs>
1: Uh, I mean, it's like in the, the triple
2: threat lore, we just at random times take a hot dump on a Abraxas, but <laughs> I mean, Slepergum 4 is also so bad, but, which I don't even think was my burn, if I
1: remember No, right. I I think you liked it Well, that's a relative term, but that was, that was a brutal episode as well <laughs> Yeah, that was a pretty bad
2: one But uh... Yeah, I mean some sometimes oh. at least bad is watchable. But yeah, I would still I would I would uh I would certainly kick Supernova down a flight
1: of stairs. <laughs> it's just so bad. Yeah, you and Walter Hill both. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Thomas Lee. Oh, there we go. That's better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, Millsy Millsy. Let's find out what we're watching next and see if it can uh, top. Oh. Top what we just talked about. Uh, how, right how now, we have two hundred and thirty-three potential themes. Two three? Huh? Millsy. Mm-hmm. Ooh,
2: low numbers, Millsy. Low numbers. Hello, how hello. How Ten. Ten. <laughs> what is that going to
1: be? Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I haven't practiced this, but I said that I would do it when we eventually got oh. this episode. <laughs> Here we go. I can't wait. So the theme for next episode is zero one one (laughs) zero 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 one zero one one zero one 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 zero zero one one zero one zero zero one zero one
2: one zero one one zero one 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 zero zero one zero one I don't even know if I should be mad at us right now Um, (laughs) this is a fantastic trifecta.
1: Oh, I have to agree. Uh, This is going to be a good time. (laughs) Outright ridiculous name, but you pulled it off. So kudos. Yeah. So.
2: Man, we haven't had a low number like this in a while, have we?
1: Yeah. 10. I mean, that's, that's almost as low as you can go.
2: Yeah. It's been a while. I'm excited. I can't wait to watch these three.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm a fan of all of these. So Yeah, man. Hell Yeah. Uh, feel free to attempt to decode the title of this episode and let us know what you think it means. Tony Sine is going to be over there with a yellow legal pad. (laughs) But, uh, yeah. So, uh, if you can't figure it out for yourself and I don't blame you if you can't Mm -hmm. come back in a mere three weeks to hear us discuss that string of numbers that I'm not going to repeat.
2: (laughs) Well, you will. When we do the episode. Can't wait. Mm hmm. Oh, it's going to be one of yours, too, so I don't even have to say it. Perfect. (laughs) How convenient. Oh, boy. Well, Mills. Mm Mm-hmm. For Triple Death Theater, I'm Joe Daxberger,
1: And I'm Ryan Miller. Thanks for watching.